This is the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Casey Soros. I think if we look at our clients more from the perspective of the necessarily the trauma, it doesn't even need we don't even need to know what the experience is or was, but the the idea that their body is simply stuck in the survival response and it's therefore manifested into these different symptoms that we, you know, call bipolar or that we call schizophrenia or whatever. You know, somebody who experienced a really traumatic situation um, might still be in their body and that's their fight or flight freeze response playing it out over and over and over again and then you know, we see that as aggressive behaviors or um, you know, like depression coming out and you know, like it's many different labels we come and the root is that autonomic that we're in. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. I hope you're having an awesome week and your September is off to a great start, or I guess we're a few weeks into September now, but at the time of the recording, we're still working our way into September. The seasons are changing. School is starting. Um, Obviously, the world is still in the state that it is in, so I hope that (laughs) you are easing your way into September, into fall, um, giving yourself the time and space you need, and ready to listen to an awesome conversation. Um, Today, I talked with Casey Soros. We dive into polyvagal theories, somatic experiencing, trauma-informed care, implications of harm as therapists, and it was a really great dialogue conversation, uh, and there's lots of resources that we mentioned in this conversation in the show notes. So this is part one of my conversation with Casey. Say, Stay tuned for part two next week where we're going to get into neuroception versus perception, which I learned a lot about. Uh, wasn't That wasn't something I had really heard of before, and I'm glad to now have that language. So Thank you so much for um, tuning into the podcast this week. If you're not already subscribed to the show, please subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. That's one of the best ways you can support the show, Um, again, because you won't miss any. And if you feel so inclined, please consider leaving us a rating and review. Those really help the podcast be more visible. You can also find us online and on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles 
on all the platforms. And I'm having some SEO drama. If you don't know what SEO is, that's fine. But I could really use your help if you are ever looking for the Music Therapy Chronicles online. Make sure you type in musictherapychronicles.com because I've been finding that if you search Music Therapy Chronicles on Google, the only link it gives you is to the RSS feed. So if you've experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. You'll click on the link and you get like this whole page of random code um, because for whatever reason, the search engine Google thinks that that's what people are looking for. So if you're looking for the website and you're looking for um, these posts, the show notes, you know, the hub where all Music Therapy Chronicles stuff is hosted, please make sure you type in musictherapychronicles.com into your search engine so that um, specifically Google figures out that that's what people are looking for and not the code for um, the RSS feed for the show. (laughs) Anyway, uh, but you should go there because you can check out the show notes for the show. Uh, Also, If you listened to my conversation with Kate, you know that the Music Therapy Chronicles self-care community is going to be launching um, soon. We're looking at October to open the doors and welcome people into the self-care community. I'm really excited for that. More on that will be coming as well as a free 14-day self-care challenge at the beginning of October. So stay tuned to hear more about that. Other ways you can find more Music Therapy Chronicles Chronicles (laughs) content uh, is to join our group on Facebook, um, to become a patron on patreon.com, subscribe to the newsletter on the website. uh, That is musictherapychronicles.com. Please don't search it in Google (laughs) because it'll just continue to confuse the search engine. Um, Yeah, the newsletter. I send out newsletters about once a month, just sharing what's on my mind and heart. There's sneak peeks into the show. There's discount codes on pod courses. You'll be the first to know about when the self-care community opens. I will have a link in the show notes to get on that wait list specifically. So you will be, again, one of the first people to know when that opens up. And yeah, overall, complete transparency, this is the first interview I have done in several months because we all know I took some time off in August and I batch record things, so um, all the interviews prior to that had been recorded a while back. So, feeling a little rusty in front of my microphone in all honesty, but hopefully it doesn't present itself in this conversation with Casey. I hope you enjoy it and you learn a lot and I'll see you on the other end. Casey, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Hi, it's good to be here. I'm excited to have you on today um, because I think this is going to be a really in-depth and informative conversation and I'm excited for that. Yeah, I was just thinking um, before hopping on that I've always talked about this stuff um, like in the form of presentations and really formal professional settings and this is the first time I'm getting to just like sit and chat with somebody I think about it like yeah I'm, I'm excited to just talk <laughs> yeah yeah that's so true sometimes um 
being able to have that back and forth with like a professional lens but like a casual setting is right yeah yeah in presentations you know I'm just like reading off slides and usually it's just you know it's the formality of it and I like having you know a dialogue conversation about these things so yeah well that's I mean that's how I envision today so if not I'm totally down to just listen (laughs) to everything you have to say so to start us off will you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and it can be music therapy related or not uh sure yeah um so I live in Indianapolis Indiana I practice music therapy here I've been living and practicing here for about seven years now. Um, I work with individuals with developmental disabilities through the Medicaid waiver. Um, let's see, before that, I did my internship in New York. And before that, I completed my undergrad degree at Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania. And that's where I'm from. Um, so yeah, uh, my primary was piano. Um, outside of music therapy, I'm currently on track to become a somatic experiencing practitioner, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Um, so that's like my other love outside of music therapy, somatic work. Um, and that's, yeah, why I like talking this kind of stuff. It all blends together. Um, outside of the professional setting, personally, I, my cat mom of two, <laughs> I, if I'm not, you know, working, I am reading or I love to be outside hiking in nature. Um, my like pandemic hobby that has spun out of control has turned into like uh, identify wildflowers and fungi and things like that. <laughs> so when I'm able to be outside in the woods, um, that's where I am. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Love that. I I used to work at a nature camp. So <gasps> I'm right there. Oh, with you. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I thought about like, <laughs> I'm too young to think about my retirement plan. But you know, like, if I'm gonna retire and have a retirement job, it needs to be, you know, something along the lines of being outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so break down for us, like, what is somatic experience for someone who's listening? And they're like, that sounds cool, but I have no idea what that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So somatic experiencing is, it's like an alternative form of therapy, I guess, um, is one way to think about it. Uh, it was developed by a man named Peter Lurie just used a lot of different um, techniques that lots of different cultures and um, people have used for a long time. And really what it is, it's addressing trauma from the lens of how the nervous system is holding it in the body. Um, so, you know, in normal, I guess, what we consider therapy session, we're talking about a traumatic event or an experience that we've gone through. Um, and that's, you know, fine. And we should do that. We should talk about those things. However, a lot of times if you don't address what's happening in the body um, first, talking about that situation can actually cause us to relive that trauma Mm -hmm. um, because the body is almost like going back to that state. It's from all of the details that you're kind of going back in mind and thinking about and talking about. Um, so in somatic experiencing, what a somatic experiencing practitioner would do 
would maybe even talk about the traumatic event first with the client. They might just have the client, you know, really start diving into what the body's feeling and just noticing, you know, the different sensations that come up when maybe thinking about something that is triggering or slightly overwhelming and just learning to kind of sit with that and cope with that. Um, also, there's a lot of, you know, oriented things that helps your body feel safe and grounded and connected to. And I think, you know, with somatic experiencing, um, it's a really great way to, I guess, go hand in hand with talk therapy um, or music therapy or any other kind of therapy because it gives us a chance to really feel what our body is feeling when we're starting to talk about and process those overwhelming um, situations. So that's a little bit of a breakdown of what thematic experiencing is. I'm still I'm still in the train process of it all. So I feel like I'm still constantly learning and um, you know, I'm definitely not an expert on it, but that's my feel on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh I'm currently rereading the body keeps the score. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. I'm doing a book club with that too. So uh very much into like this type of this type of thing right now um, absolutely yeah you want to speak to that you know, yeah um it's funny I started I didn't start reading it well I started listening to it yeah. <laughs> in audio form um I'm the worst when it comes to starting books not finishing them so I remember uh, starting and really enjoying it and actually that was one of the first books that I started listening to slash reading when I was starting to go into this almost like just experiencing trauma-informed therapy journey um so yeah it's just it's so fascinating to me how bodies remember so much um and I think as humans we're we can be so rational and so logical I know I am and that was one of the reasons why you know I started going to this uh I guess like experiencing field it's like you know why do why does our bodies do what they do why why are they you know they're so smart they're so smart at keeping us safe um and helping us and so it's just yeah fascinating yeah I I love what you said that our bodies are smart about keeping us safe because the idea that's been floating around in my mind is he talks about in this book about um helping his clients be safe in their bodies because their experience of trauma has indicated to their mind and body that it's not safe to be in mm-hmm. your body. So it's it's switching that, that we, you know, there are these coping mechanisms, there are these things that the body does and remembers, but um, finding a, uh, I keep using the word safe, but finding a safe way to remind the self that being in our body is okay and that's safe and then we can work through things from there but you like you said you have to get into the body you have to like acknowledge what sensations are happening and Uh what's going on um because otherwise if you're just talking through things right you you could be triggering all these mechanisms that the body is doing to create safety by not (laughs) dealing exactly yeah 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 I, uh, what is that thing? like you have to feel it to heal it yeah, <laughs> thing, yeah like you, you have to you, we're like i said we're so good um you know as humans i think you know we have that rational logical side of like you know i shouldn't you know i shouldn't feel unsafe because 
you know, I, I can perceive that and I know I'm able if we've been through something very overwhelming and traumatic, um, you know, logically that doesn't matter. Our body know. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah. And I there's one quote Stephen Porges said the man who created the polyvagal theory and I think he says something like if you want to make the world a better place start by making people feel more safe or something like that um and I think that's that's very true you know helping other people feel safe is is where we need to start I think that's a great example of um like why music therapy like the therapist is what makes it music therapy and like for advocacy, right? Yeah. So yeah, I as a music therapist could make a playlist with someone and then they could use that on their own. But the the difference is that, you know, when we're in session together, we're creating that space, we're creating that safety and holding that container. And that's what makes it music therapy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and not to keep quoting people, um, that's just reminding another quote. Uh, I just finished my uh, recording my presentation for the American Music Therapy uh, Conference, and so all these like quotes are rattling around in my brain. But yeah. um, that reminds me of something Peter Levine has said, uh, who created somatic experiencing, um, something along the lines of like trauma isn't the it's not necessarily the experience, but what we hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Mm-hmm. And that idea of an empathetic witness, like we as therapists, um, you know, we have almost this responsibility uh, when we're with our clients to, you know, allow them to experience what they're experiencing um, when it comes to trauma uh, or, you know, whatever, whatever is going on for them empathetically um, and kind of be that safe container for them using music, obviously, um, but yeah. I feel like that's something I remind myself of because I have many sessions where I am working with uh, students primarily who would be diagnosed with developmental trauma if that ever becomes a, an official diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And like we're not necessarily in the music and you know we're kind of even one step removed from the music but what's going on is really important you know whether that's a conversation or they're processing something or even if they just need quiet time and I'm the yeah. person who's allowing their you know allowing them to have that space um, mm-hmm. and then I come back to that that it's I'm just being the witness I'm just being present with them and showing up every week and being present with them is doing more work than me playing the guitar for 30 minutes straight will ever do. Absolutely. Uh, and that's an yeah. important mindset shift. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. okay to not always be in the music if that's not what's right. Needed. Yeah. I think, oh gosh, we're you know, not in school. I think uh, realizing, and gosh, I'm becoming more of a seasoned music now that I've been <laughs> doing this for seven years now. I can't say that I'm new, but um, the more I practice, the more I actually become comfortable using less music. Um, and realizing that music is, it's almost sacred. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes we overuse it. And like you said, the the more important thing is just being there with the client. And, um, you know, it reminds me of, you know, the concept of like co-regulating, making sure your nervous system is in a regulated, calm, safe state that you, the therapists, are making sure you're checking in and, finding your safety and connection within your body mm-hmm. and you almost get to become like that safety anchor um 
to the individual you're with because our nervous systems communicate and connect with each other um, constantly, you know, even though we don't. Um, and so making sure that there that we're being mindful, present, um, and like I said, checking in with ourselves is really important. And I think that's more important than any song or <laughs> musical skill you're going to bring into the session because, you know, that's, that's what our clients need is that connection. Yeah. I, um, at the beginning of that, you said the over, we overuse music or we can overuse music. And I feel like that yeah. taken out of context could be such a controversial statement, but oh, yeah. it also <laughs> like, is such an important statement for anyone to hear that's, and, and I'm saying this for myself, you know, when I'm in that silence or I'm in that discomfort of like, where are we going next? There's no music. What's happening? Um, mm-hmm that reminder that like, don't, don't overuse the music, Trisha. Like it's okay to be where we are right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good. And I mean, music has pauses and silences in it. You know, I mean, music isn't constant. I think that's something that's not an original thought of mine. (laughs) One of my supervisors told me that once and I stole it. Um, But it's so true. You know, how terrible honestly would be if, you know, there was a piece of music that never ended, or mm. I don't know. If you really thought about it, come on now. So, I mean, we need silence. We need silence is so golden. It just it can be really, really thing. I think, and we don't like sitting in it, mm. especially as music therapists. We're we're bad. We're bad at just sitting in silence. So, right? Yeah, yeah. I. <laughs> so I don't know. I think I think it's important skill to start adopting. Um, it's funny, you know, when you sit in silence, then I think sometimes we use music too as a way of fill in that discomfort that we're feeling. So maybe, you know, like as something to think about is when that discomfort starts coming up when, oh no, there's silence, you know, why, why am I uncomfortable with this? What's going on in my body? Why am I feeling nervous about this? What, you know, just starting to get just curious, curious about those maybe the sensations or the thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, similar, you said a supervisor mentioned silence to you. I had in college, my, um, uh, studio professor. So I played the clarinet. So my clarinet teacher in a lesson and he, silence was the thing. And he was like, silence is what grabs the audience's attention right? Mm. You could be playing, 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 playing. And then when you stop, that's what's really going to grab them. And then the next Mm. thing you do is what they're going to be most attentive to. And that, Mm. like we're saying, transfers perfectly to the clinical experience that when you leave that space, it's um, unexpected. And it's unexpected in daily life. Like you said, you know, we're not, we're not good at sitting in silence. I, um, was talking to a colleague the other day about I was in a session and I was um you know very typical music therapy kind of like stopping at a cadential point to let the client fill the space and Mm -hmm. finally the you know adults so the paraprofessional will say in this example next to me goes are you stopping to try and get a response out of him and I was like well I got a response out of you so it's working right (laughs) (laughs) you know like yeah. yes that's exactly it are you uncomfortable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 that's interesting it's interesting that the other person wasn't even yeah. <laughs> the session 
couldn't handle that <laughs> that right? silence there so yeah exactly exactly so where do you want to take this from here this is obviously a really broad topic so what's oh on gosh your mind right now um i don't know because this honestly wasn't i had no expectations when cool. it came where this conversation was going so um where do you want to see trisha <laughs> so i polyvagal theory i read some of your stuff um i like think i'm getting a grasp of it like tell me tell me help me understand the similarities and differences between polyvagal theory and somatic experiencing like where's the overlap mm -hmm. where's the divide okay. yeah, yeah, yeah so i think um polyvagal theory is kind of at the root of what somatic experiencing is mm. i guess but science i guess behind somatic experiencing. So um, polyvagal theory itself was created by a man named Stephen Porges, who is his background is in neurobehavioral science, I think. I know he's he's a very smart man. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's it's become something that more um, are kind of adopting as a way to view and practice therapy and then somatic experiencing has taking I think the science and the concept of polyvagal theory and turn into more somatic approach to therapy, like from a body perspective. Um, so that's to answer that question, yes, polyvagal theory is like a, the nuts and bolts of what somatic experiencing is. Um, and really what polyvagal theory is, it's the way a full definition of it. <laughs> it's uh, how our autonomic nervous system basically is organized so that we as humans and mammals in general, uh, it's how we connect to one another and, and again, feel safe, but also how we respond to danger um, and life threat. So what's fascinating to me about the polyvagal theory and it ties back to you know the idea that our bodies are just really inherently smart and safe or smart and safe, are safe, um, <laughs> really smart at keeping us safe, um, is that, you know, our, yeah, like our bodies, sorry, my train of thought, basically our bodies, um, you know, we do things automatically um, through the autonomic nervous system, things that we don't necessarily have control over. Mm. Um, and that's, that's the part about it that kind of fascinates me, you know, is that when we perceive danger, our bodies automatically go into, you know, this fight or flight freeze response pattern. Um, and, you know, that can affect our emotional health, our physical health, our mental health. Um, and a lot of times I think when we have these symptoms, we look to fix them, you know, immediately through you know, either medication or, you know, whatever to just like mask the symptoms. But really, I think a lot of where healing can come from when it comes to trauma is looking at the root cause of why the symptoms or those, uh, you know, why our body is doing what it's doing at the root of whatever autonomic state you're in, if, if that makes sense. That was a lot of work, <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah, so, so this is, um through the somatic experiencing mm -hmm. we're able to understand and acknowledge what's happening in the autonomic nervous system yeah and therefore we can 
pause or counteract or heal mm-hmm. any responses, polyvagal responses that are um, keeping us from from healing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That was that was very eloquent said. Well, <laughs> very good small summary. Yes. You gave me all the information, so I'm right. just getting it back out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so cool. Awesome. So hmm. So why do you think it's so important? for us as music therapists to be informed, be trauma-informed, know about these practices um, and these clinical applications? Yeah, oh, that's a loaded question. I feel like yeah. there's so many answers to it. <laughs> um, so I'm going to speak just from my experiences. And I think, this is what I think, I think everybody should be on some form of journey as therapists to be more trauma informed. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if we're not actively trying to learn more about what it means to be trauma informed, then really what it boils down to is that you could potentially be causing more harm um, Mm -hmm. in a session. Mm -hmm. And so as therapists, we we have so much power that we don't even realize. Um, I think most of us just have this idea of, you know, we want to change the world. We want to be these healers and that's great and amazing. And I think a lot of us do great work with our clients, um, but that amount of healing that we strive to, you know, do and give to our clients, I think we have that equal amount of weight that could carry over into more trauma if we don't know know, our clients' backgrounds, what our clients' triggers are. Um, And so that's why we need to learn more about what needs to be trauma-informed. That's, Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. Um, And speaking more from my perspective, like I work with individuals with uh, developmental disabilities and that's the population I've always worked with. Um, And I think, you know, there's there's deep-rooted inherent trauma there uh, because you know, those individuals carry a marginalized identity simply by living in a place that society is deemed not normal, you know. And um, I think, you know, if you're a music therapist who works individuals with intersectional identities, um, uh, to any, you know, any identity, it doesn't have to be individuals with, with developmental disabilities, but, um, you know, learning about your client's history and their identities and grounds and their cultures and just all of these different things could carry over into um, various types of trauma. Um, I think that's the reason why it's really important for us as therapists to be trauma-informed as well. Because yeah. really, I think everybody's experienced trauma. I don't think that that's not something that you know, we're immune to, uh, just because life is hard. Um, some people just might have more for a number of different reasons. So. Yeah. I mean, look at the past year. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we've all experienced trauma, um, especially with the pandemic. So um, I think that's one of the reasons why trauma has become such a hot buzzword to, you know, the therapy community. And so um, I think the meaning of what it 
what it truly means to be trauma-informed can get lost because it's so common now, you know, to talk about it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I did my internship at a state hospital uh, and my supervisor from day one was very adamant about many of the people we work with, you know, you're going to see them and interact with them and they're going to present as a person with schizophrenia or a person with bipolar disorder or any number of mental health labels and she was very clear that a vast majority of these um, conditions, for lack of a better phrase, are a result of trauma. And mm -hmm. when I'm looking at the people that I'm working with every day, I can't just see them as a person with schizophrenia and try to work with that. I need to see that there is an entire history that led to this present moment and to be aware of that. So just like you said, I'm not causing harm. And I'm not perpetuating this cycle that they've been in because majority of the people, professionals they've been working with, did not come from a trauma-informed uh, background yeah. or perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that research wasn't even there when most of their doctors and clinicians were studying. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. You said your supervisor uh, would say they present as somebody with mm. bipolar or it's, it's so fascinating to me. I these are also fighting words uh, <laughs> i mean the dsm can be whack like i just i really hate sometimes putting labels on yeah. um you know like certain diagnoses and things like that and i think if we look at our clients more from the perspective of the necessarily the trauma it doesn't even need we don't even need to know what the experience is mm. or was but the the idea that their body is simply stuck in the survival response mm. and it's therefore manifested into these different symptoms that we you know call bipolar or that we call schizophrenia or whatever you know somebody who experienced a really traumatic situation um might still be in their body and that's their you know, fight or flight freeze response playing it out over and over and over again and then you know we see that as aggressive behaviors or um, I don't know, like depression coming out and you know like so many different labels we call and the root is that autonomic that we're in yeah my favorite because it's my least favorite is oppositional defiance disorder <sighs> yep mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I hope I've everyone who's listening to this it. had a, a, a gut reaction to hearing yeah. that. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was talking with a um, a colleague again, and and we were talking about this, and I was like, I I just like language. I I don't know. I know oppositional defiance orders. Like, no, you know, behaviors. That word can be taken so many ways. And and she said, yeah. um, she reframes it with the language of protection they're being self-protective mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so you know it's it's not oppositional defiance it's them being self-protective right and then it takes yeah right it takes the focus off of me as the therapist as they're defying me it puts it right. back on them and it, mm -hmm. it shows this as a positive coping mechanism that's just coming up in a way that 
is challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I've had conversations with clients about this, you know, that, um, you know, our, like already our bodies are so smart mm. and so good at keeping us safe. And you know, we'll see these behavior as something that's bad, but really it's just, it's just the body's natural way of trying to live, <laughs> you know, and it does come out, you know, in different ways that, like you said, it's labeled as oppositional defiance disorder or, um, ADHD, well, you know, whatever it could be. Yeah. 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 So like, in a couple of clients, I'm just thinking of currently, you know, there's been a lot of shame around the different behaviors they've, they've had in the past or that they currently have. Like, I don't want to be like this. I want to have these outbursts or I don't want to have these things. It's like, I know you don't, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're going to work on different ways to maybe not do that, but at the same time, your body is doing what it needs to do in order to feel safe right now. So kind of like trying to shift that away from shame and more like, I don't know if it's gratitude or whatever, but um, I think that's another step in, in healing trauma is to stop judging our bodies so much whenever it is trying to keep us safe. Yeah. Because we do that <laughs> a lot. So. Yeah. How powerful to like, okay, so I'll put myself, I'm in, I'm in a kid's body. I'm having these outbursts. Like, and when I finally come down from it, like, I am so ashamed of what I'm doing. I can't believe I did that. I'm upset with myself. I am angry with that part of myself. I don't Mm -hmm. understand it. And because I have all of this tension against that, um, that part of me, you know, I don't look at it and I don't address it. And so for an adult to say to me, Hey, this is like you trying to protect yourself. Then I can look at that with a loving lens and say, mm-hmm. I don't like outburst Trisha. I don't like her, but I see her as protecting me. And so how can I yeah. work with her? How can I mm-hmm. see when she comes into my life? So something something in my day has really upset me and like outburst Trisha is coming but Casey said, outburst Trisha is just trying to protect me. And I know that I'm safe because I've done my somatic experiencing. And <laughs> like, okay, outburst Trisha, I see you, but now is not the time. Like how powerful to have an adult who can like acknowledge that part of you, tell you that it's okay for lack of a yeah. better phrase, that it's not mm-hmm. evil or bad or like it's just part of you and to work through that. Yeah. Yeah, 100%, you know, and I, I feel like I've a couple different places uh, and I've seen, I've seen both sides of it. You know, I've seen clients have outbursts or have their moments and then immediately, you know, it goes into that, like, bit more of a reward and punishment style kind mm-hmm. of thing where I'm like, oh, that's not, you know, we're not, we're not really addressing the, the root problem here. Um, but, and yeah, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, when you address it, from a really kind, empathetic lens where it's like, you know what, it's okay. Like I said, that was just my body's way of protecting me. Um, There's real healing power that comes from shifting your lens from shame to, it doesn't even have to be Mm self-love, non-judgment, you know, non-judgment and self-love that your body's doing what it needs to do to, to protect itself. Yeah. And I think especially with kids, that would be 
really powerful. They're still learning (laughs) about their own bodies. I want to tie that back to harm. Um, Obviously, I have conversations with people a lot because I keep saying I was talking with a colleague, uh, but I was. (laughs) And she was saying she's working with a kid um, who's new, new person, new student who had previously worked with a music therapist. And in session, he had a frustrating moment. And when he came down from it, he said, you're going to send me home now. And she was like, well, what do you mean? And it came out that that's what the previous music therapist would do. He would be frustrated, he would get upset, and then he would be sent away. And so how important that this new therapist is trauma-informed, recognizes Mm -hmm. that moment for what it is, and... You know, then we get into rupture and repair, right? So she's she's repairing the relationship, saying, "No, I see that part of you, and I'm not going to send you away, mm-hmm. um, right? Because I don't see it yeah. as positional defiance. I don't see right. it as X, Y, Z. I just see it as, hey, like you needed to process that the way you did, and now we can take two more steps forward today." Yeah, 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 and that's that's an important part. Um, Going back from like to a polyvagal perspective, you know, as a therapist, we're when we have a client who maybe is stuck in a fight or flight or freeze response, you know, our goal is to try to create more cues of safety um, within the therapeutic setting and resolve those cues of danger that they might be experiencing. And so, trying to bring that client back to a state of everything you know even though maybe okay sure not everything is okay but in this moment (laughs) everything is okay um and you're co-regulating and you're offering that that safety connection with that person that's what's going to really um start helping the autonomic system find safety again the more Mm -hmm. we can offer that to our clients so so yeah that's that's amazing that she she did that to Mm -hmm. him yeah how awesome that we get to be, we, we get to do this job, <laughs> right? You know, we get to yeah. be witness to like those, mm-hmm. those very dark moments that people experience. And, you know, we take a deep breath with them and then we move forward. hundred <laughs> percent. I hope you enjoyed that part one of that conversation with Casey. Again, next week will be part two where we're going to talk more about neuroception as well and get as get into some self-care stuff. And of course, the rapid fire. Um, I love the rapid fire questions. I hope you do too. So stay tuned for that next week. As always, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. So appreciate your support. If you are looking to get CMTEs for listening to podcasts, you can check out the pod courses available from MTPC. Um, That's the Music Therapy Podcast Collective. And you can find all the pod courses housed there. That's at mtpodcastcollective.com. I think there are currently seven pod courses up. More are in the works, and it's a a great way to support the shows you love and also get some CMTEs for listening to to podcast episodes. 
Don't forget to subscribe to this show if you haven't already. Find us on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles. Uh, get on the wait list and the newsletter for the self-care community. I hope that you're feeling excited about that. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go back a couple episodes to my conversation with Kate on self-care and community uh, and stay tuned for the self-care challenge coming up. Um, there will be a lot more information during that time too that'll be in the beginning of October if you or someone you know is interested in being on the show let me know by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com this week's quote comes from Adrienne Marie Brown I touch my own skin and it tells me that before there was any harm there was miracle Amen.